Why don't you open your Bible to the book of John, chapter number 16. John's Gospel, chapter 16 tonight. And I thought I would preach on something that uh, would be encouraging. And um, we just live in such, we live in such troubled times right now. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. And uh, I've lived longer than most of you. And I haven't seen this before, never in all my life, to see people bottled up in train stations and all their city being blown up and people dying and carrying bodies around and people wounded, nowhere to go, and hungry and no water. I've never seen that in my time before. So I thought I would speak to you about how to have peace in troubled times. And there's a wonderful, wonderful verse in John chapter 16. And it's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me as we read His words to us tonight. I'm only going to do one verse. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and I especially have my eyes on, in me you might have peace. Thank you, and you may be seated. Heavenly Father, I pray that as I speak tonight, that this will be a tremendous help to a large number of people. And you have given us this wonderful, wonderful passage for times like we're living in times that none of us in this room have ever experienced. And so we distinctly tonight need guidance from you. So speak to us as I expose your word here, but may the Holy Spirit also come and work in a marvelous way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The context of this passage of Scripture is the evening before the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. And the context in this passage actually begins back in chapter number 13. If you want to turn back there for a moment, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew His hour would come, and He observes the Passover, and then He observes the Lord's Supper, communion with His disciples. You go down through there, that's where he stands then after they take the supper, and he kneels before them and washes the feet of the uh, 12 apostles. He tells them to be servants. You come on down through chapter number 13. In verse 34, he says, I give you a new commandment, and the new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. And then you go right on in to chapter 14. Chapter 14 follows. It's also, this also occurred at the Last Supper uh, portion here. And so then you come through chapter 14, and then you come to the end of chapter 14. But that the world may know that I love the Father, verse 31, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise and let us go hence. And so he says, stand up, and we're going to go, and he begins his walk toward the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he 
instructs his apostles as, he, as they're traveling. And so in chapter 15, he talks about him being the true vine and they are the uh, husbandmen. And then you come down through chapter uh, 16, these wonderful verses on loving one another, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And you come down to chapter 16, and he continues, except now he gets very, very serious. He tells them about what is going to happen in their own lives. Now, why would I spend a few minutes just describing to you in general what these passages contain? It's because that, as I've told you many times, when you take a text without a context, you have a pretext. You haven't exposed the Scriptures in a very uh, accurate way when you forget the context. So this is a big context, chapter, uh, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. After he finishes in chapter 16 and verse 33, he went into the garden of Gethsemane, lifted up his eyes, spoke to his father, said, my hour is come, and now you have his priestly prayer in the garden there. So this is, uh, if, you, if you understand this context, and you begin to see the significance of what he's saying right here. These things I have spoken unto you, he says, and he's referring there in verse 33, he's referring to what he has talked about in chapter 13, 14, 15, and now 16. And the first thing he says to them is, these things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. And so my first point to you tonight would be that God's will is for us to experience peace. It is God's will for a Christian to have peace. Now, when I use the word peace, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about peace between nations. That's not what he's describing here at all. The peace he's talking about is the internal peace that he has provided for Christians. The peace that is a tranquility of our souls, uh, a freedom from tumult and conflict going on inside, and we all know what that's like. The peace he's talking about is a calmness in our spirit, even in the middle of great trouble. It's a quietness, an internal quietness, when there's not so much noise going on inside you that you can't hardly think. It's a quietness of the spirit and a quietness of the soul. And so he's already spoken to them about that, but he comes back and he repeats it again. Go with me to John chapter 14 and verse 27. If you'll turn back there just a little bit, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, he began chapter 14 saying that also. Go back there and these very familiar words to you. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in me, and then there's that very famous passage. But twice in this chapter, he says, I don't want you to have your heart full of trouble. I want you to have peace. I want you to have a calmness. I want you to have tranquility internally in your life. And so it's the peace of God that we're talking about. I want you to use your Bible a little bit here because I want to lay a very good biblical foundation for the rest of what I want to say. And first of all, this is not the peace 
with God that we find described in the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 5 with me, if you will. The Bible talks about at least three different kinds of peace. There is peace with God, there is the peace of God, and of course, there's the peace between nations, world peace, where people are not at war with one another. Now, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have underlined the phrase there, peace with God. What is peace with God? It's not the same thing as the peace of God. They're distinctly different. The peace of God occurred in your life when you got saved. It's the fact that the rebellion against God is over. You're no longer running from God. You're no longer saying, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I reject His authority in my life. The peace with God, it means that the hostility, the enmity between you and God, the word enmity is, the book, uh, is, is in the book of Romans, meaning hostility. And the enmity between a sinner and God has been resolved by the cross, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I have peace with God the moment that I'm saved. But that doesn't mean I'm going to have peace internally. It doesn't mean that I'm going to have a calmness of spirit. I might be worried to death and have peace, peace with God. My salvation has been assured. But here tonight, we're not talking about peace with God. We're talking about the peace of God. Turn with me to another passage, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, and the peace of God, not with God, of God, the peace of God passeth all understanding, and it will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. The peace of God that we can't even comprehend, we can't understand it. It's infinite peace. It's beyond our understanding, and it will keep your heart and it'll keep your mind even during the times in which we live, huh? And so tonight, God has provided for our peace. It's God's will for us to experience peace. I want you to turn to one other one because it, it is so relevant to where we are tonight. I want you to go back with me to the book of Matthew in your Bible. Matthew and uh, chapter number 24. Let's go all the way back there. And you know that's a great prophetic chapter and I've been thinking about preaching some here on prophecy because, boy, it's a time ripe for preaching on prophecy, isn't it? I bet I've had 10 people this week saying, do you think this is the Gog-Magog war? And uh, my response is, I don't know. It could be, couldn't it? There's no reason it's not. This might, these might be the opening shots of the Gog-Magog war. So we're thinking about that in the context here, when we listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, the most important single prophetic chapter probably in the New Testament. And in verse 4, Jesus said, take heed that nobody deceive you. It's easy to be deceived. And boy, do we not live in times of deception? Oh, we do. Even the world knows we live in times of deception. Do you know what they call it? Fake news. We have our own term now for it, don't we? Fake news. Watch out for deception. And then Jesus said in verse 5, many will come in my name saying, I'm Christ. And watch out for the fake news. They'll deceive many. And you shall hear of wars 
and rumors of wars. Ah, we're getting relevant now, aren't we? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and what do you say when you hear that? See that you be not troubled. See that you be not troubled. Some of you watch Fox News way too much to have the peace of God, because it'll, it'll trouble you if you want. Sometimes I just got to say, that's enough. I don't care if they're going to blow up the world tonight. I've had it for today. And uh, Jesus said, when you're watching all that stuff and all that stuff is coming into your brain, what did he say? Right in the middle of a prophetic chapter here that's um, peerless in, in, the, in the New Testament, he said, um, don't be troubled. He wants you to experience peace. He wants us to have a peace that transcends all the events of life. He wants us to have a peace that is superior to our circumstances, that the circumstances of life don't get us down, the troubles of life. And so, see that you be not troubled. And then he begins John 14, verse 1 and verse 27, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says here, I want you to have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but you can overcome that. So let's talk about the peace in the tribulations and trials of life. And there, he promises us, first of all, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be problems. So read 33 with me again, Acts, or John 16, 33. These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. That's the first point. Second point, in the world you shall have tribulation. I wrote on my notes here, that's a promise we don't want to hear. In the world you will have tribulation. You see, there's 7,000 promises in the Bible. And when I talk about God's promises, we usually talk about good things and positive things, don't we? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then a promise, all these things will be added to you. But here's a promise I didn't come to church to hear tonight. I didn't really want to hear this. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's very positive, very affirmative what he says. You're going to have tribulation. That's affliction, physical problems. That's pressure and stress. That's grief. And I look around here tonight and see four or five people that are grieving the recent death of loved ones. That's sickness. That's opposition. That's loss of friendships. That's betrayals. That's financial reverses. That's war. That's death. You're probably thinking, I don't know if I wanted to be here tonight. I'm telling you all these terrible things, but I'm telling you this is what our Lord promised to us. And we're going to have our share of it, are we not? If you live long enough, if, if, if you can't identify with what I'm saying right now, you know what? You're probably very young. You're probably very young. And I didn't have those problems either in my 20s and 30s. But since then, I've found out that 
lot of dark clouds on a lot of days in life, and you've experienced that yourself, haven't you? Now, I'll tell you why we don't appreciate this kind of teaching and preaching. It's because we have lived a very, very privileged life in America. I've had the privilege to go to, I don't know, 20, 20 some foreign countries. And it has infuriated me over the last two or three years when I hear people talk about this country. When people say the things they say about America, they don't know what they're talking about. They need to buy a plane ticket and travel around the world. And I promise you, you'll find out that we are the most privileged people on the entire planet right now. Even with all the problems we got, it's still the best place I've ever been, I've ever seen in my life to live. And because of our, I think it's because of our Judeo-Christian heritage, we have been spared much of the tribulation that the rest of the world has experienced. And so I've traveled, I travel around the world and I see people, a whole village getting their water out, out of a dirty pipe and a spigot and people bringing dirty vessels up there to collect a little bit of water in. I see people who go to a hospital, they call it a hospital and there's nothing in it but a gurney and a, and a basin over in the corner. As filthy and vile. And, and I see people without enough to eat and little kids with their bellies distended because of malnutrition. And I see people living in horrible poverty. And then I come to America, and, and the poorest people in America and the people in the worst condition in America don't live like that, what I see. And so we've been spared. We have been so, so blessed. And then we have the Bible. We have God's truth. It's so readily available. If you don't have a copy of it, you can have somebody give you one. There's a hundred places in Florence tonight that would give you a copy of the Word of God. And the truth, the principles of the Word of God, the true principles of the Word of God, there have been enough of them in our culture now for 250 years almost that, uh, you know, and they've blessed us. The, the free enterprise system as opposed to socialism. And last week I preached on we've had political liberty. We've had economic liberty. We have had religious liberty. And we've been blessed by it. Theologians use a term, and, and you read it, and, and it is so true. I've seen it in this congregation throughout my life. It's called redemption lift. Redemption lift. What is redemption lift? A, a first-generation man and woman gets saved. They've, they've never lived for Christ. They've lived, the man maybe drinks up a lot of his money, and they, they live on the poverty line, and they're just, they, they don't have anything. And suddenly, they get saved, and they start going to church, and they learn God's principles. They learn God's principles about everything, of, of health, of, of sanitation, of, of education, and, and they want something better for their children. So they send their children, they sacrifice and send their children to school. The kids get an education. Guess what happens? Next generation, kids live a lot better than mom and dad, and so on. And it goes generation after generation. 
Almost everybody in here is living better than your mom and dad lived. You know why? Because you've, you've been exposed to these principles, and they've lifted you. They've lifted you economically. They've lifted you spiritually. They've lifted you in every way. And Americans, man, we have been so blessed. And, and liberty itself frees people so that they can d- uh, not only yearn for a better life, they can obtain a better life. And so this country has coasted off of that Christian heritage that we had in the past. But I fear it's produced a kind of a false optimism among people. And we make an assumption. Things are always going to be like they've been. I think that's a false assumption right now in America. We don't, we're not sure that things are going to be better in the next generation right now. We're not sure that things are going to be like they've always been. You and I, who are adults, and especially my age group, we have absolutely ridden the wave of prosperity and the blessing of God in this country. I don't know if anybody will ever be as blessed as my generation was. And so we read about in this world, you will have tribulation. It's kind of hard for us to understand it until maybe some crisis occurs in our life. And so we set ourselves up for disillusionment. And then I've watched this, oh, how many times I see somebody hit a rough spot. I mean, things really get tough. They lose their job, or they lose their business, or they, there's a, a, a nasty divorce, or there's a, a child on drugs, or there's heartbreak comes to them in some form. Maybe it's a terminal disease, and they have to go through years of suffering. And I watch them become disillusioned. I watch people become critical of God, angry at God. God who blessed them for 40 years, now they hit a rough patch, and they're mad at God. They think, that they think that we are entitled to a life without trouble. We're not entitled to anything, really. Everything we have is the result of God's grace. It's the grace of God that has been showered upon our lives. And so trouble comes, and if we don't understand what Jesus is saying here, you know, we can't handle it very well. We get depressed. People even commit suicide. Oh, life is so horrible. And so it would be good for us to dig down real deep on that passage right there. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Now, look, I know you figured out by now this is not Joel Osteen preaching tonight. But on the other hand, I'm telling you what God's Word says. I'm telling you what Jesus said. And it's not being negative. I'm not trying to spread a power of doom over the room so that you're going to walk out of here tonight and go to the drugstore for some medication. I want to prepare us in troubled times. Let's just... Be sure we're prepared and pray to God we won't need to use the preparation, huh? 
pray that God will give us many good days in the, in the future. But if perchance dark days come, remember what Jesus said. Don't be shocked by them. Be preparing yourself for them. Anticipate them. When you hear a storm is coming, you prepare for the storm. In this world, you will have tribulation, a promise I didn't want to hear tonight. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. If you want to turn with me there again. Second Timothy 3 and 1. Know that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Perilous means dangerous. Dangerous times are coming. And you go down to verse 12. In those dangerous times, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And then he goes further. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Time's not going to get better in the last days. Fake news again, deceiving and being deceived. But you're to continue in the things that you learned. And so we prepare ourselves for those times. And Jesus, to go back to Matthew 24, said what? When you see wars and rumors of wars, next phrase, be not troubled. Be not troubled. So let me now, with all that having been the, the front porch of this message, let me take you in the house here, and it won't be as big as the porch, okay? Number one, Jesus' formula for peace, make sure you're in Christ. Make sure you are in Christ. Go back to verse 33 and circle two words, in me. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have Christ. Do you know how many times the Bible uses a phrase in Christ or in him or words to that effect over and over? I, I should have counted them, but I didn't. But scores and scores of times. The New Testament talks about being in Christ, in Him. And what that does is that describes our position. The, the, we are so, as Christians, we are so identified with Christ that God views us as being in Him, a part of Him, if you will. It's, it's a difficult concept to illustrate, but the only one I can come up with is you take a sponge and the sponge is in the water growing down in the sea, the, the, the sponge in its natural condition. It's in the water. It's growing in the water, and they're inseparable. The sponge is in the water, and the water is in the sponge. And Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. It's an intimate relationship. It's a spiritual relationship it occurs at the moment that I receive Christ as my Savior. I become in Him, and He comes into me. And we're, we're partners. We're inextricably related. We'll never be separated again in all of eternity. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. The best illustration I can think of it is Noah. And God told him to build the ark. 
And he built the ark, and God says, come into the ark. And the Bible says, God shut the door in Genesis chapter 6. And then judgment fell on the whole earth. Judgment in the form of the flood. Rains came down, and it flooded the whole earth. Forty days and forty nights it rained. That was not a gentle rain. That was not a rain to water the crops. That was a deluge, we refer to it. It was raining like cats and dogs is the way we describe it in South Carolina. Where did that ever come from? <laughs> raining like cats and dogs. But that's, we mean a, a hard, driving, deluge type of rain. It did that for 40 whole days and 40 whole nights. Think of the, 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 the sound of that pounding on the ark and the thunder and the lightning, no doubt, and all that was going on in that. And there sits old Noah. This is in the margin of your Bible. His arms are folded, and he's in his lazy boy. And I mean, all hell is breaking loose outside that ark. But you know what? He's secure because he's in the ark. And that ark was a picture of Jesus Christ. The Bible uses that often. That ark is the picture of our salvation. And if I'm in Christ, then I can handle the tribulation and trials that are going to come to me in life. But if, so having a true assurance of your salvation, not based on the way you feel, but an assurance based upon the Word of God and the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart. When you have that kind of assurance, then you're prepared to deal with the afflictions and trials of this life. Romans chapter 8 is one of the verses that say in Christ, it says, there is no condemnation to them who are what? In Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 if any man be what? In Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Philippians 4.21, Paul writes, and he says to the church at Philippi, salute the saints who are in Christ. Not in the church, not in membership, not even in fellowship, but salute the people who are in Christ and Christ is in them, and they have that relationship. Now, question tonight, in times of trouble, do you have peace in your soul? Do you have assurance of your salvation? Are you beyond the point where you say, I hope so, and I think so, and I guess so, and, 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 and I'm doing the best I can? A Christian can say, and when you say this, you're not being boastful, you're not bragging on yourself, you ought to be able to say, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that He will stand in the latter day upon the earth. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior because as I asked every one of those men in the Baptist a while ago, are you trusting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Not the Beatitudes, not the Sermon on the Mount, not the prophecy teaching. Are you trusting what Jesus did for you in six lonely hours on the cross that day? And if you're trusting that, that's not going to change. If you're trusting that, you can have assurance of salvation based on something other than your good behavior and your good works. So Jesus' formula for peace, number one, make sure you're, you're in Christ. Number two, look to the Word of God. It's right there in the text. Again, these things I have spoken unto you. 
He spoke to them. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, that's the Word of God. The speaking of Jesus is the Word of God. And we not only have those chapters, but we have about 1,100 more chapters that we can turn to tonight. And so we have His Word. So if you want peace, you're not going to get it from Fox News, and you're not going to get it from social media. You're going to get it from the Word of God, the Word that was so powerful that when He spoke, the world came into existence this morning's message. And these things I've spoken unto you, look to the Word of God. Saturate your mind with God's truth. Saturate yourself with God's truth. That's why we have more than one service here. We have church service on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You know why? Sunday morning is not enough. I don't know where people ever got the idea that church are together on one time on Sunday morning. You won't find that in the Bible. It says daily in the temple in every house they cease not to preach in Jesus' name. And so we come to church, and you, you ought to be able to rely on it that when you come to church, your pastor is going to open up and preach to you like I'm preaching right now. This is not the greatest message that anybody ever delivered, but I'll tell you what's the greatest subject because it comes out of the Word of God. And you ought to be able to expect that your pastor will open up the book and he'll talk more about the book than he will about anything else. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. Begin every day with, your, with the Bible in your lap and your knees bent at the throne of grace. Saturate your mind and your soul with the Word of God. Don't live on your feelings. We're in a feeling-oriented world right now. People live off their feelings. And if you live off your feelings, you're going to be in trouble. You are going to be up and down and in and out and off and on. Live off of the Word of God. Amen. Bill Bright wrote that little booklet, that little tract, uh, Five spiritual laws, four, I can't remember how many there is, but at any rate, the spiritual laws. And he's got a, a great little drawing in it. And I think of this thing often. It's, it's a train with three cars, the engine and two, two cars following it up. And the first car, the engine, he labels it fact, F-A-C-T. That would be the Word of God, the facts. The second car, he labels Faith, meaning you put your faith in the facts. And the third car, he labels it feeling. And he really doesn't talk about it a whole lot because it's not that important how I feel. What's important is the facts, the engine that pulls the train. And it's facts, the truth of the Word of God. And I put my faith in the facts and the feelings follow. But you know what? A lot of people put the feelings up there and have them pulling the train. And those people are unsteady. And they can never get things nailed down because they're looking inside for their spiritual life. And you won't find it there. It's God's Word. 
faith in God's Word, and the feelings follow. And you don't live off of them. You live off of the truth of God's Word. Jesus' formula for peace, make sure you're in Christ. Look to the Word of God. And then he teaches us one other thing here in this verse. These things I've spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. And I put there, control your thoughts. Be of good cheer. Now, would he have told us to be of good cheer if we couldn't control that? No. He doesn't play games with us. You, as a believer, have the power through the Holy Spirit indwelling you to control your thoughts. There's a wonderful verse. I won't have you turn to it, but just listen to it in Isaiah 26 and 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose what? Whose mind is stayed on thee. If I keep my mind on the Savior, I'm going to have peace. If I get my mind over here on the events of the day, or the circumstances of life, if my mind is on my troubles and afflictions, I'm going to have turmoil inside, tumult inside. But if my mind is stayed on Jesus, I know who He is. He's the God that created the world, as we found out this morning. And I can rely on Jesus. Amen? I can count on Him. So what he's saying here is be of good cheer. Discipline your mind. Mental discipline. You can't just let your mind go wherever it will. Your mind will go places it, it should not go to. I guess it yours will. If it works like mine, mine will. Mine will go off into places it should not be there. And sometimes it goes so far I have to ask the Lord to forgive me for letting it go there. But you know what? That's a momentary lapse. And I come back and I say, now, Lord, help me get centered. Help me get on back on my core here. And I caution you because you know what gets, gets us off track is we put so much in our mind that's detrimental to our spiritual life and our own peace. We create our own problems. I watch people in church. Man, how I would like, how I would like to just lovingly shake some of our people. Some of you have an addiction worse than some of the people who go to RU, and you carry it right here in your pocket, but I don't bring mine over here. I'm afraid I'll forget to turn the ringer off. But you know what you do? I watch you. You can't sit for seven or eight minutes without checking that phone. You're addicted. You cannot sit here and concentrate on the Word of God with me for 10 minutes without going. You think I don't know what you're doing? I know what you're doing. And some of you are so bold as to text during the worship of Almighty God. What is so important in this world? You've you got to break away from this at some point. As a man thinketh, so is 
he. You can't be of good cheer. You can get up in the morning and say, the Lord said I've got to be of good cheer. I'm not going to be melancholic. I'm going to be full of the joy of the Lord. And before we close, let me show you, this isn't just Bill's opinion here. Look in John 15. Go back one chapter. Verse 11, these things I've spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And then a few minutes later, the Lord says in chapter 16 and verse 24, in that day you shall, or hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And he's back on the subject of joy. And then I come down to verse 33 where we've been tonight. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm living in you. If I've overcome the world and I live in you, you can overcome the world. You can control your thoughts. And you can have joy as a Christian. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please.